1: And he's an author and librarian from upstate New York who specializes in the history of British magic from the 16th to the 19th centuries. His works include The Book of Oberon, The Book of Four Occult Philosophers, which is one of the books we're going to talk about today, The Long Lost Friend, and Witch Bottles, The History, Culture, and Magic. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, Dan, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm I'm glad to have you because, um, as I told you before we got on, this is all new to me. And Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have to really dumb it down for me. (laughs) That's fine. And, you know, take me through so the I've been calling and and you kind of confirmed it um, before we got on that the uh, four occult philosophers are wizards or magicians as well but you want to tell me who the four are and and basically why are you into this and, and, you know, where are they coming from?
2: Well, I think that I'll start with that last question, which is why I'm into this. Uh, I'm into this topic because I get to talk about people like this and interact with their manuscripts. And that is so neat. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we've got these four occult philosophers that the book is named after, and each one of them has some sort of writing in this particular book. So we've kind of got layers here. This is all based on a manuscript. Uh, that was 116, which is kept at the Bodleian Library at Oxford. Um, so you got well, your first occult philosopher is someone who we only know by the initial W. Um, that person- Before, before go we ahead. go
1: there, I have to say about Dows cause I did look him up. Um, he was a collector of mm-hmm. manuscripts. And that's why you refer to him because in the end, he owned that manuscript,
2: right? He, yes, he owned this manuscript um, and he's kind of a fascinating figure in a, of himself. He was—he became a collector, he was kind of an amateur collector for a while and then one of his friends who was a sculptor suddenly gave him a lot of money in his will so he could just collect all sorts of things. But Dows was kind of collecting a lot of stuff on people's beliefs in witchcraft and uh, nursery rhymes and fairy tales and all sorts of different stuff. And so he just had this one little manuscript that was like the one I looked at it was kind of off on the edge of the collection, so to speak. Some people collected a lot of stuff about magic. Dows just has like pretty much this one book. And uh, so uh, he, um, after his um, after his death, he donated this all to the Bodleian Library, um, largely because he was mad at the British Library because he worked there at one point and then he got mad at them and because of his poor working conditions and left. But yeah. so that's that's Francis Dows um right
1: and why is he special because it, his work is so available
2: uh he is uh special because i think one of the things about francis Dowse was he just was just collecting a lot of things other people hadn't he came in at the end of the whole collecting craze so he wasn't able to like you know collect you know all these respectable you know manuscripts and Mm -hmm. you know antiquities and things like that because everybody else had gotten to those um Mm -hmm. so he kind of put he was like grabbing all the little
0: what we call ephemera,
2: yeah the the side Mm -hmm. stuff like the like bills and you know children's books and things like that but that is for historians that material is so useful today and Mm -hmm. so uh that's i think that's what the you know but he brings to the table as you know, as a collector,
1: and it's not so polished as the the big antiquities are.
2: Uh, where they I would say
1: knew they were going big.
2: <laughs> they they were you know people were really you know very much into bringing things from overseas and you know collecting you know manuscripts by famous people. And Dallas was kind of just trying to figure out what he could collect first of all on his limited budget, and then later on we could collect a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so Thanks. that's yeah that's why he's yeah. that's why he's significant
1: yeah thanks and then the four occult philosophers because i was confused on this part um it is one manuscript but the four mm-hmm. have handled it or been involved with it at one point yes and that's what we're talking about is their involvement in this manuscript and the manuscript basically is magic and spells mm-hmm. and yes okay great so Got the so base there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks.
2: <laughs> so our first occult philosopher, we don't know too much about that person. Their name is uh, labeled as a W. That's all we get in the book, which is pretty common for manuscripts from the uh, late 17th century. So I think there's a date in the book, like 1697 at one point. Um, And this person did, you know, the core work of the manuscript was collecting all sorts of different spells and incantations and uh, charms from you know their area which we think was somewhere around Worcester, because at one point and this is also how we know this person in actually england, practiced the magic in
1: yes england. in england <laughs> and we yeah. know
2: that this person was actually was probably a magician because at one point there's a treasure hunting incantation so this is something people would often do they'd say well you know treasures are guarded by spirits and so you got to talk to the spirits before you can get the treasure so there was this whole you know there's this profusion of like treasure hunting manuscripts and, and at one treasures point are
1: usually money or
2: um, they're usually money yeah 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 okay. just like today course, <laughs> yeah well yeah even more so back then because you did have you know roman deposits of you know silver and things like that and then also people were not as invested in the banking system as we are today so they would hide yeah. money yeah. so it was possible you could find something but what mm-hmm. the what he did in this case was he put in the name of a place into the manuscript, which was Stolton Heath, it, as a place where you could find treasure. It's just like, yeah, I will t- tell me where the treasure is at Stolton Heath, and I'm like, okay, I can,
0: mm-hmm.
2: more or less. So that, that's can, a paraphrase. You but can yeah.
1: pinpoint that place. Yeah, it
2: was. There's a lot of Stoltons around, but there's only one Stolton Heath that's named. So I'm kind of confident about that. And there's a couple of other indicators. So right there named uh Worcester in England and um so that's that's kind of the like core of the manuscript right there um then it goes uh it passes through probably through various people and it goes to somebody named Thomas Harrington we don't know too much about Thomas Harrington um we know that his books uh went on sale at auction in 1806 uh because he had passed away um there's it's sometimes difficult to find historical details on people named things like George and Thomas in England. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just so many of them. Uh, But um, we do know that this, you know, we found a, I found a description of the manuscript in that sales catalog. So I know it went to him and there's also an indication that he was using like a numeric divination system, like, you know, where you add up the numbers of people's names and things like that because he counted
1: what we'd call numerology
2: yeah what we call numerology it was a little bit there was a lot connected to that there's like there's something called the wheel of pythagoras which is like this big diagram it's really impressive but um where you like get all the values and it tells you how to add them up but um he had actually And and is
1: that the live or die one
2: (laughs) that is the live or die one yes um
1: yeah
2: (laughs) uh, or is a sick person going to live or die often but um so what uh, Thomas did is he actually added up the values of his name and the margins. So I was like, okay, well, and then I had to kind of work that out like, okay, what are the possible names here? So I worked it back to Harrington. I was like, okay, I'm not entirely sure about this, but then I found the book catalog. So it was like that kind of all came together. So, okay, this mm-hmm. is a Thomas Harrington. I wish I knew more about him, but you know, and he was writing as you know, he put this together uh, probably probably, you know, around 1800, because he died in 1806 or his his everything went up for auction in 1806, we'll say. right, right. So that's number two. So it had
1: to be before that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and once again, there could have been multiple owners in between those. I It's mm-hmm. hard to tell, but these are the people who actually engage with the manuscript and put their writing in it.
1: Right.
2: So third Do person. Do you know who wrote yeah, the ahead.
1: original manuscript?
2: somebody named w Uh, yeah yeah
1: it's a compilation of it's it's a really
2: it's a compilation of various spells from different sources and Mm -hmm. some of those we kind of know where they come from and some of them are just kind of mysteries that it's just like people back then manuscripts were big even after print came about because Mm -hmm. books were expensive and people seem to have a good deal more time to do things like write, you know, copy things out of books. So you could actually create your own yeah. custom book. And this was something that people really did. They had whole networks of people who would like hand books back and forth and they copy them and hand, you know, hand them along. Right. And uh, that's kind that's of how weird. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty <laughs> weird. But that's how yeah. that's how things got done in a lot of different, you know, fields like politics. Um, so people would just w copy was this one yeah. that-
1: pulled it all together so the original manuscript was w's
2: the original manuscript was w's okay and then harrington came in and he started writing some things about it uh, around in the you know at the beginning and the end and putting in some notes and saying well i'm going to mm-hmm. kind of formalize this a little bit more i'm going to put in some notes on dreams maybe some notes on perfumes or what kind of tools i want people to use and uh, he was very much Uh, trying it seems to put together a book that would have been useful to somebody who had a cop who had his library there and say, "Okay, this is what you need to do. I'm going to pass on this information to whoever you are. Um, Mm -hmm. The manuscript went up for auction. So obviously that plan fell through. But uh, that seems to have been his intention and also to kind of uh, put some arguments in there that would push back against, you know, the science the scientific rationalism that had, you know, sort of become the dominant um, paradigm at the period. time. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, so it's very much like, you know, there's things in, you know, science we don't understand. There's things in nature we don't understand and, you know, maybe, and the fact that you're pursuing this means that you're not, a superstitious person but you're somebody who's reasonable who's like looking into who's doing some sort of inquiry into these topics and it shows a and people can't succeed unless they're of good character too so you know he's very much now is he
1: rationalizing his um interest in this or protecting himself or is it just you know keep your mind open
2: I think that he's trying to really rationalize his interest in it. Um, yeah, he's, yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, an open mind, usually, you know, there's a point where you can say, I'm, I'm keeping my mind open. And that point is probably, you know, well back when you've written dozens of pages of incantations. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're invested at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. he also wanted to be able to present it to people. And if anyone found it, I think, and said, Hey, this is what, why I'm doing this. And, you know, this is very much in line with, you know, just the Science spirit of inquiry. Well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm rational. Is what he's mm-hmm. saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he went up for auction.
2: Mm-hmm. His work, his books go up for auction. And once again, not sure what happens at that point, but it ends up in the end in the hands of our third occult philosopher, who is Olivia Serres, uh, or as she calls herself, Princess Olive. Uh, Princess Olive was a lands- the landscape painter to the Prince of Wales, so she had some sort of status. But mainly, what she's known for is submitting dubious documents that uh, establish that she was um the illegitimate daughter of the duke of cumberland and you know deserved all these royal privileges um something which is kind of dubious i mean people will differ on this but i think most you know people who've examined this have said this person is just she's making up stuff um right right but she was and she was also you know very often in debt she was in and out of prison there's actually a poem in the book that she writes about being in prison um (laughs) <laughs> and uh so and she would also get involved. weird yeah
1: well maybe it's not weird that she ended up with it somebody who was had no money you know you'd think mm-hmm, the first mm-hmm. thing she'd do is sell this off you know but yeah. then again um based on you know as a landscape mm-hmm. painter you know yeah. in a court that alone could have given her access to this
2: and, and I, I think assume. she was very much like Things with her were very feast or famine. So um she could have been in debt in you know, debt for prisoner, or she could just be like borrowing money from people or blackmailing the royal family sort of very nicely, right. very polite blackmail. Um, but like, hey, I know this person who knows something about the royal family. Give me some money and I'll make it go away because I'm your friend. Mm-hmm. You know, like the
1: inquirer.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <Today's> inquirer.
2: <laughs> yeah. So but she was also on top of this, she was very much um, a- an astrologer. She actually published some things with Raphael, who we'll meet in a minute, um, in his uh, some of his um, early journals. She was she had kind of a, a column in them where she wrote about astrology. And what this book establishes is that she was also into talismans because she also copied some talismans into the margins of the book here and there. And she was also using some, uh, some of her own uh, divination, once again, using numerology because uh, mm-hmm. there's like, there's like a list of names in it. Like, okay, you have to convert the name to the Latin equivalent, which is usually just with us at the end or something. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's a point where they, the list stops and then it starts up again and it's the first name on it is Olive. So um, she's, you know, she's uh, kind of, she's she's engaging with the materials she's working with it and uh, she's coming up with her own, uh, you know, her own kind of, Material which is interesting because I have no idea where this comes from. This material she's put in there, I don't think she mm-hmm. invented it, but she's getting it from sort some source that I don't think we have access to today. So that's um, that's kind of and interesting.
1: That's why some of these manuscripts are so important because they are kind of at the bottom of mm-hmm. the average person. Is the average person at that time period into magic? Are these people fringe or you know?
2: So let's see, or Do you um, know? this is, this is kind of a question with layers, because to um, work with a manuscript, to write a manuscript like this, you need to be able to write, you need to be have a level of education, you need to have the time to mm-hmm. do it, you have to have, it's good if you have some familiarity with Latin with some being, I think, the operative word here. Uh, so you have so, to be
1: somewhat educated. Yeah but that's
2: just this sort of layer it would have been possible for people to um you know not practice magic but use you know go to the person who's practicing magic you know Mm -hmm. in their area it was also possible for um you could have charmers people who knew like one or two charms like this person can get rid of warts or stop blood that's what they do if you need any of those things to happen you go talk to that person but uh, you know and specialist. then they just yeah they're <laughs> they're but they're a very limited specialist so they can they can do that one thing but someone who had a manuscript like this would probably either be someone who was you know casually interested or somebody who was interested in like having a number of services they could offer um mm-hmm. but these people are called cunning folk or service magicians so um i think that's that's kind of where this person occupies there are a whole bunch of people who like gradations within this, you know, you could have people who just kind of had books and were presenting themselves as magicians that were, you know, doing spells, but the books were just, they couldn't actually read the books. The Books were just there just to feel uh, so people would be like, to look oh good. you've got yeah. books. Oh gosh. Well, we got to go talk to you. Uh, yeah like props so, basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and props then the other people couldn't yeah. read
1: either so yeah, nobody was yeah. going to call you on it
2: <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah. sometimes like the book of oberon which is a little bit earlier has like pictures of spirits in them that were actually copied out of another book um, a printed book in this case so mm-hmm. people so you know and there's a recorded case where someone was trying to you know you know put one over on this uh widow that they were Talking to and they're like, look at this manuscript. Look, there's a picture of you know this, this evil spirit. Oh my gosh, you got to do what I want. And then she was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you thrown in jail instead. So, uh, but, <laughs> as uh, being a
1: con yeah. and yeah, fraud, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of fraud.
2: There was well, there was kind of like this shift over this time. That's what's interesting about it because in the 16th and 17th centuries, it's very much like they're very focused on magic works and it's if you try to use it on people then that is you know you're a danger and we need to deal with you that way and then so this is what a lot of the witchcraft prosecutions happened under you know in in england happened under Wait, these laws
1: trials trial trial, yeah or that oh, was that yeah. more political or was it really magic
2: okay so oh, let's let's divide the two no 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 <laughs> this is this is a very simple this is very simple actually because um a lot of the people prosecuted for witchcraft were not actually practicing magic. And generally, if someone was caught for practicing magic, uh, like they had one of these books and they were like, you know, selling their services, a lot of times people would just say, well, um, you're kind of useful in the community. Like it, it would be like a people have said, for example, in the past, well, midwives were often prosecuted as witches, which wasn't actually the case because who wants to really get rid of the m- local midwife? That's going to be a problem. Right, right.
1: We need so, her. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so a lot of these people, if they can, couldn't be proven to doing a specific type of magic that was problematic, um, they would just be told, you know, stop this. We'll take away your books, but just just don't do that. So mm-hmm. but so the people who are prosecuted for witchcraft were often people who were lower in social status. And, you know, it came in with all these, you know, suspicions of, you know, well, they had basically put curses on people. And it was less likely for someone who actually practiced magic, who was also, as we said, often going to be more educated and, you know, sort of more part of the community um, right. to be prosecuted. All right, so let's put that aside. So we um, we get to the 18th century, and then everybody starts being really embarrassed by magic prosecutions and all these witchcraft trials. And they're like, okay, we, this, is, this is just embarrassing. They had some very, you know, I won't get into details but some very embarrassing trials and they decided okay we're going to change this up so and at that point there's a shift where you're not being prosecuted for practicing magic because people think it has power but you're being prosecuted because they think it's fraudulent um so and that's kind of where um thomas harrington and olivia sayers are living at a time when people are saying yeah don't this is this is be fraud to yeah yeah, so, yeah. so it's the, the penalties aren't quite as much. And it's also something where often people once again, get left alone because, um, who are actually practicing because it's, you know, more aimed at people who are, you know, maybe the Roma people who are you know traveling about, maybe they, they get prosecuted because, you know, they're, they're on the fringe of society, but, um, they would, you know, but these people practicing magic would usually, they were usually all right, as long as they didn't, kick off somebody going to the
1: con or fraud they, or yeah or
2: they they were told to like hey i'm going to find some you know someone would go to them and say hey find my missing goods because this was kind of stock and trade and right. uh they if they couldn't find them maybe they get called into court because you know they shouldn't be doing that and the person wants yeah. to prosecute them but that's usually when it happens um is
1: that why um olivia wasn't in, in or you don't know was in oh, olivia
2: Oh no! Olivia was in jail because she didn't have any money. She got like oh, was so it in was debt. debtor's prison. Like, she just kept going yeah. back to debtor's prison. Yeah, um,
1: yeah.
2: But uh, so yeah, she and also probably because people, she would just keep getting into trouble on all these things. She was uh, she was she kept pissing people in off. Involved in all <laughs> these shady deals. Um yeah. and it was trying became, to
1: blackmail the uh, royal family and extortion. yeah, yeah.
2: There's a. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know. if She actually. I think it may have just been debtors. To be honest, I think everyone was kind of like, she might be lying, but she might not. And some of this stuff she does, some sort of documentation. Um, basically, none of this really gets cleared up until after she dies, and her daughter says, "I want to get these, you know, privileges." So she goes to court, and the court finally says, "No." You know, the, the, this oh, is all. I see. All yeah, she proves.
1: Yeah. yeah, she asks for proof, and they don't. It's yeah. not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what happened with the um, people who did magic as well? That you know that we're calling it fraud, but we're going to back off in case it's real, or just fraud? Well, and you've got a use in society, and it's it's you know prevalent enough, you know, and people are comfortable enough with it that it we was, don't really want to prosecute it.
2: So this is where it gets complicated. So Olivia's mainly in trouble just because you know debtors and debtors. She, yeah. people backed off from her because. If she is a member of the royal family and they go after her that's a problem <laughs> yeah. um, because yeah. no one was really sure um mm-hmm. but the, yes these people were very much sort of in society and they could often find ways to get around that um one common tactic for example that turns up a lot is you think about you crystal gazing right people will uh-huh. you know they go in and you know the, the you have your person who looks into the crystal ball and see something a lot of times back in the day that was um, actually the magician would have the client look into the crystal ball like look into this and mm-hmm. see what's in there and maybe yeah. sometimes there's like a they do did a little design and maybe put it under the crystal slipped it under the crystal so uh-huh. maybe you see that um but this was actually has happened a lot and i think part of that was so suddenly it's not the magician who's getting in touch with the spirits. It's the client. So now, okay, so what is the client? They're kind of putting the client in the hot seat. Yeah. Um, and they would so also. They can't just, call yeah. fraud
1: because the client's seen. Um, yeah. there will not be counting another... the piece of paper underneath <clears throat> or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If there <laughs> yeah. was
2: something like that there. Yeah. Um, another example would be uh, in the realm of astrology, which was covered under the same laws, was a couple of people I have written about called George and Margaret Graham. And what they did was they started a hat and glove shop. So you would go in and buy a hat or buy some gloves and then you would get the free astrological reading on top of that. So suddenly they're yeah. doing business at it, but there's kind of this, um, you know, th- this other, it's aspect got an
1: overlay it. of, yeah, it's got of an overlay. product. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> so this yeah. is how people that kind was of, smart. They yeah, that yeah. yeah. Smart. <laughs> they would do, they would do have all sorts of ways to sort of, get around yeah. that you know those restrictions mm-hmm. and and as right. long as and these people are fairly prevalent so the only times we really come upon them is when somebody gets mad at them and drags them to court and then everybody's right. kind of embarrassed by that uh yeah that they've been people? to them <laughs> yeah, yeah they've been to them and they're yeah. you know all they this got you an know, astrological
1: yeah. reading yeah
2: how how can this happen in london you know that's just embarrassing. We're for sophisticated. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. We're sophisticated.
1: How could we have yeah. this? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I yeah. think something that comes out is people think that this was often like a very rural phenomenon. It's like all oh, the people off in the countryside. Everybody likes to say that about magic. It's off over there in the countryside. But usually it's also right. in the urban urban areas too. It's just like people don't want to talk about that because that doesn't right. Right. because they can't separate themselves from that. You know, Well they only... believe
1: they're more sophisticated in the cities.
2: Oh, yes. True or yes. not
1: true, you know, but um mm-hmm. they like to think they are, therefore, yeah. no magic, right?
2: Yeah. So there, yeah, so there's they all say. these people app- <laughs> there's all these people operating. Yeah. It's just like they, they like to tell this this story about you know magic being over there or being done by people who are yeah. um foolish, or uh, of course, because this is early educated early 19th century. Yeah. Also, women get a lot of you know that okay, so it's like yeah. men talking about women. Because mm-hmm. being all sexist, yeah. that, that Yeah, they,
1: they're this not is smart common, enough.
2: This, yeah. this is a common motif, like all of these things to kind of push magic. Like that's something somebody else does, whereas we we don't do anything like that. Or at least we don't talk about it. Yeah.
1: But, right. You know what? I want to take a break here and sure. um, then we'll come back and talk about Raphael. Okay, sure. The fourth. Yeah. So we'll be right back.
0: One thing's for certain, life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit a aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit A You are listening to Metaphysics A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call into 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to A View Through the Veil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, we're back with Dan Harms, who's an author and librarian. Um, and he has studied, the. we're talking about the 17th and 18th centuries of um, magic, really. And he has just written a book, Book of Four Occult Philosophers. We are on the fourth Raphael. Um, that uh we're gonna talk about now. So you want to tell us about Raphael? There are a bunch of Raphaels, wasn't, yeah. wasn't there? And that's how he got it, such a big name. Yep.
2: Yeah. So uh our first Raphael and the one connected with this particular manuscript is Robert Cross Smith, who comes from a little town called Abbotts Lay outside of Bristol. And he goes to London to make his fortune. He's a clerk for a while, but he really wants to, you know, work with astrology. Um, He's putting together a lot of different, you know, little magazines and journals for astrology. And he's not really successful at first. This is where he actually comes in contact with uh, Princess Olive or Livia uh, Sarah's who's actually writing a column for him. But finally he finds the right mix in a book called the prophetic messenger. And that just takes off and he becomes this incredibly like the most famous astrologer in all of England. Um, And he, uh, this goes on for until his death, which I think is in 1832, after which um, people decide that this is just too good of a, like a franchise to let it slip. So mm-hmm. um, they, they start to have hire other people to be Raphael to work on these. Um, oh, I see. On these, yeah. Uh, journals. yeah. Yeah. So it, I think there's, um, there was actually a pamphlet. Um, Ella cow did about this. There's like nine at least. And I think the mm-hmm. Raphael's prophetic messenger, may still be out there or Rapha- Raphael books are still out there today and they're still being published um but was uh, he
1: an astrologer really a good astrologer or did he come to london to make his money and figured that was a good way to make money
2: i i don't know i this is the difficulty because i'm not really great with astrology myself so i don't want to have to that- evaluate his astrology also because astrologers often would kind of hate each other and they would give oh, some yeah. very they wouldn't let me like wrong right yeah, kind of yeah 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 <laughs> so you get into that so i don't he was uh you know he was somebody who was actually able to set himself up as as a business after a while so we can say that mm-hmm. um right and uh, so so he seems to have been uh, fairly successful and uh have you know got a lot of respect from people um mm-hmm. And, so it uh, could have been
1: astrology or pr <laughs> yeah yeah it's, and or, it's hard it to could tell be both yeah could be and both. If,
2: of course if some of your listeners are better with astrology yeah take a look at us you know what Raphael did and, work, you know, yeah. let me know yeah because uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah sometimes um it, it's it's sometimes hard to tell without really diving in uh one of the things you know and he was actually um interested in he was also interested in magic And he was also interested in some of the astrological um, arguments of the day, one of which was about this new planet they just discovered called Uranus. And they were like, okay, or they sometimes called it Herschel. Uh, They were still trying to figure out the name. They're like, okay, there's another planet. And what do we do with that? Because we haven't been taking that into account. Things seem to be okay in our prognostications, but what does that mean? And so one of the things he does, he's got like four pages inserted into this book. Maybe like just like a sheet folded in half uh, that got in there at one point. And he's talking about what this means for astrology. And he decides it either means that astrology is going to become a glorious science that's, you know, going to be recognized by everyone or it's going to completely, um, you know, just vanish. And no one's be going a to, pay hoax. To, it be proved to be a hoax, yeah. And he is wrong about both of those, but that's OK. <laughs> he doesn't have to be right about everything. Um mm-hmm but so and i don't actually he's the one i'm not sure actually had a copy of this manuscript um he may have just known He know who knew, knew olivia so he may have she may yeah, have just stuck something yeah. in there at one point but his writing is in the book
1: so it, it it was put in the book so she he could have given uh those four pages to her and mm-hmm. she could have just slipped them in and yeah. he never saw the manuscript or handled and,
2: it and then there's a gap um because um the 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 book then shows up the manuscript shows up at auction and all it says is that olivia sarah's had this at one point so Mm -hmm. that did it go to Raphael? you know once again was it part of one of these manuscript you know swapping situations there were still people doing that at the time especially because very little had been published in like on ritual magic in britain I mean there's like this big amount that happens like right at the time of like Oliver Cromwell and the uh protectorate but when people think about magic from Britain they're usually thinking about um like uh like Victorian era and this is this is mm-hmm. before Victorian era so people Sorry, a lot yeah. of what people are doing is they're just even taking printed books and like swapping them out and like copying down bits of them and you know handing mm-hmm. them off so uh that that may have been part of this but um, I know, know it's it's him. His text is in the book. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's he was involved four.
1: somewhere, or involved with people who were involved.
2: He's involved yeah. somehow. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Now magic, um, you know, it like it was big for a while, and then it dipped in the 1800s because of um, it, it went science, I believe, mm-hmm. or what they considered science during that time period, um, and then it came back. At the end of 1800, and please jump in anywhere because my history is pretty sketchy, but the spiritualists kind of gained some power, which Uh is a form of magic playing with energy. Uh Um, And now it's big again, really. Uh And not only pandemic, it was big before that. Uh But what is everybody's fascination with magic and with um, why do humans keep going to magic? That's I think a big people, question. <laughs> yeah, that's okay.
2: I can give it a shot. Um, Good. Well, I think we want to kind of distinguish between um, magic as recognized by the educated elite and magic that's actually being practiced on the ground. Because I think that a lot of this was, a lot of it was being practiced just where people wouldn't see it, where they weren't leaving traces, except if somebody went to court. That's when you find out about yeah. it. So this has been going. This is kind of going along for centuries. It may have fallen off in the early 20th century in England, just because a lot of it was really based on agricultural concerns. And uh, so, mm-hmm. okay, so my cow's sick, or you know, somebody's, you know, my crops are failing, or something like that. And when people start really moving to cities, and we start having like big automated farms and things like that, uh, it starts to become, you know, that part of it becomes less important. But I think is people, it less
1: important, or we lose connection with the land, with nature. And I so think, much of magic is well, maybe I'm wrong, but I think of it as a good part of nature.
2: It, I think that okay, getting into the concept of nature, I think I want to say our concept of nature is very modern because just because back in the day. I don't think people thought of nature in the same way because they didn't have an option. Like it's not, you know, if you've got Mm -hmm. a house that's not particularly well insulated by modern standards and you don't have internal heating, except for a fireplace, the idea of nature is going to be very different. If you, you know, if you, you know, if you're out, you know, if it's raining, you know, that's, you don't associate that with something else. Right. Right. Um, That's, that's, that's what's happening. And if you're, you know, if you're trying to, you know, if your thatch wasn't up to, you know, it needs to be replaced. You're getting leaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, nature so,
1: was pretty harsh then. And nature, now it's a yeah. gentle and it thing. Was,
2: it was very much of like, you know, something that you were in. But as people moved to cities more than now, pe- now we think of nature as like, okay, I'm going to go someplace and be in nature. Um, So, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I think that to some extent people did start to brand magic more as having to do with nature, just because we think about nature. Nature's something over there, and it's something special and it's something we go to, which is our own concept of it. I mean, and mm-hmm. we, we know that this is kind of this is sort of our own. This is kind of a lie we're telling ourselves on some level, just because well, nature's we're so all around protected. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: but we're so protected. We're, we're protected, uh, yeah, against nature. Nature, uh-huh. I say to people, nature's trying to kill you.
2: <laughs> and <laughs> <Get> so, <in. laughs> and so, when you do with when you've got nature uh, that's over there, then it also becomes a way to say, okay, we'll also put magic over there, you know. And yeah, you know, so those things are also things we go out to. They have a special quality to them, um, sort of a, I don't know, a spiritual a spirituality to them yeah. that we a, and something we see as uh, having a special quality. And I think that's why we often associate magic with nature. When I, I would say that older magic is more about solving problems, and as to why people actually still uh practice magic is because we keep having problems of one sort or another (laughs) they're not the same problems and maybe they're not quite as acute it's not like i mean if you're you're not going to have you know one animal die and then that kind of takes out you know your whole support structure um uh, you can you know in the same way as you could back then and also we've got you know insurance and we've got you know government support and you know we've got better health care hopefully mm-hmm. hopefully people have better health care um right. so there's there's a lesser range of things so
1: we don't have outside. as many uncertainties
2: we were not um, as many uncertainties but we still have them yeah right amount yeah amount interpersonal relationships and money and things like that um mm-hmm. so i think of that way that part of it carries forward. Um, we've also- And that's where cases, m- magic yeah. comes
1: in, where to to try and mitigate the uncertainties or, or have some kind of power, or have some kind mm-hmm. of way of influencing.
2: And we've also, there's also another weird part of this, which is we've kind of repackaged magic in some ways as spiritual development. Um, the people back in the 16th and 17th centuries, they were very much like, we want you to be, a good person and you know we want you to give alms and we want you to be you know uh, this idea of christian virtue and that will prepare you for practicing magic whereas today magic is often seen as a form of spiritual development you're doing the magic so you can become a better person in today's terms um that's
1: completely reversed
2: yeah yeah so um, yeah. so that was also part of the sort of rebranding. And it's why sometimes people will look at this earlier material and they're just like, what, what is going on here? This doesn't make sense with what I was told about magic because we kind of changed around once again. Uh, just as Thomas Harrington was doing, he wanted to rebrand magic to make it you know, relevant. And part of that was saying that this is a sign of virtue and a way to virtue and a, va- you know, a way to be a better person and a more successful person. Um, so, you know, that's, that's another piece of that, that's going on. So if you have listeners right. who are like, wait, this is not, this doesn't sound like what I practice. This isn't well, the that's, magic that's part of it. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> and we have reversed it. I didn't realize that until you were talking about it. We have re- reversed it completely, mm-hmm. but yeah. Interesting. So, um, so these, now we're getting to the point where, Um, We have Raphael, who is still in existence, spiritually, (laughs) Yes, (laughs) still in existence. And um, you went over to England and actually looked at this manuscript, but you said that people can actually, if it's a microfilm, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they can actually download it now, right?
2: Well, this one, they can't, unfortunately, because this this one one. hasn't been fully microfilmed yet, which is why um, I think it's got a lot of material people haven't seen. But just for everybody's reference, if you go, if you write the British Library, if you see like a manuscript reference in a book, like hey, that sounds like something I would look at, like John D's work or something like that, you can write the British Library and ask them if it's been microfilmed and they will tell you. And then you can order a copy, and usually it's like um twenty to twenty-five dollars to get like a black and white microfilm of it. So um, so that's that makes it easy for a lot of this material (laughs) yeah but for this one i had to it was like i have to go to oxford and because it's going to cost too much to just order the whole thing so i just Mm -hmm. went over and took a camera and got permission to just take pictures of it so i have like thousands of pictures of this manuscript uh and it's uh it's kind of a Weird, wild experience, just being able to do that. It's it, not like anything. Something yeah. from
1: that time period, and that's got to be weird to to it look is, at yeah. something and people's notes and you know from eighteen ten or mm-hmm. yeah, it's got to be weird.
2: <laughs> it's weird, but after a certain point, it just cuts out because, it's like, okay, I'm taking photos. I got to take photos of these pages. I got to make yeah, it through get this. on with ow, it. Yeah. Ow, ow, my back. <laughs> ow, ow, my yeah. back. Yeah,
1: Right. Um, before we leave this uh, topic and go into uh, witch bottles, which I also don't know anything about, um, is there anything about the, the four philosophers, four occult philosophers you would like to add?
2: Um, I could say that the book itself, which we haven't got too much into the contents, which is that's OK, but it's. <laughs> a really amazing sort of compilation of all sorts of uh cult lore you've got spirit summonings you've got treasure magic you've got healing you've got all sorts of you know verbal charms which uh some people tell me aren't even circulating at this time but they are um just like dealing with you know you know blood you know staunching blood if someone's bleeding or you know curing people it is it is just an amazing work that just, you know, it just keeps throwing things at you. So it's one of the nice things about these miscellanies. It's all stuff from centuries ago that people were actually using. And it's just a whole bunch of it. it Have you tried them? <laughs> no comment.
1: I could say, <laughs> let's, I could let's say, Let's put yeah. this on somebody else. Has, one, has a friend of yours tried them?
2: <laughs> well, I, not, to my knowledge because like the book just came out so they've got to mm-hmm. you know but uh people have come to me from time to time and told me that they they were thinking about doing something in one of these manuscripts i'm like okay let me know how it goes and i don't hear from them so i'm just hoping they're okay <laughs> that they, yeah. they're they're okay uh
1: yeah <laughs> but yeah there, <laughs> so there's... you don't know if they work or not
2: they they could work they might not um and um you know this is once again the there's a whole debate about this you know does this magic work Mm -hmm. or does it not and how do we know if it works and you know what would what would be the indicators and people will continue to debate this for decades but if if you want a good selection of these the only thing i would warn people about is that they this is i'm republishing a manuscript written by people who are just kind of copying what came in their way because sometimes mm-hmm. people come to me and say, boy, this is badly organized. And I'm like, that person died four centuries ago. Give me a break. I can't do anything yeah, yeah, about yeah. that.
1: <laughs> but um, I know.
2: yeah, it's just, you know, there's just all sorts of like wonderful material in there. It's got a whole section just on talking about fairies, which we're not going to get into. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got, um, you know.
1: And that's changed quite a bit, the idea. That of fairies, has changed quite a bit. Which yeah. <laughs> we're not going to get into.
2: We're not going to get into. Just yeah. very short this manuscript has a whole section about the different kinds of fairies and what happens when you like make them angry and they like take revenge on you. Um, uh-huh. And you know, and when how, they got how, wings, how it. <laughs> this is, be- this is well before a lot of depictions of fairies with wings. So um, mm-hmm. these are this like, it's very like raw. And the nice thing about that was actually had it published in the journal folklore, like that text, because that is what oh, wow. we didn't yeah. have before about fairies at the time. And they're very they're very different from what we think about them today.
1: You know, one thing that amazes me really is that even though we're talking about a manuscript from England, um these ideas go across all cultures and all all countries mm-hmm. and and all time, really. And you gotta wonder about that, that <laughs> it is that consistent across cultures and time and countries and you that's the one thing that is it true
2: (laughs) well is it true as a a scholar part of my job is to pull apart the differences between them so like i kind of come at it from a different angle but there's a lot of material out there about these you got these like they're basically people and they live nearby once again talking about that space with you know that's just nearby like fairies association with nature is once again, relatively recent because people were living there. And it's just like every so often they would, you know, they would have this experience uh, with these other people. And the question is, who are these other people? So we kind of cobbled together like fairies out of these, um, out of stories and experiences like that. And um, sometimes things fit well and sometimes they don't. And it's sometimes interesting to see like what we decided were um, you know what we decided we were going to, we were going to emphasize, and what you know what people were talking about mm-hmm. at the time.
1: I have to say, I have uh, I had a, um, a great aunt who was born in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. and um, they had leprechauns. Oh, she was born mm-hmm. in Ireland, and mm-hmm. they had leprechauns. And you know, we we talked a little bit about leprechauns. but at this point, she's living in New Jersey, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and in a city. and, you know, and uh, I came home from the St. Patty's Day Parade, and she was ninety one at that point. And I said to her, "I saw a leprechaun, and boy, the change in her." Yeah. and i realized at that moment she totally believed in leprechauns that this is a reality mm-hmm. in her life this was not a fairy story that she read someplace oh no yeah. they're real they're mm-hmm. real and they're they're not you know don't be following them looking for the pot of gold mm-hmm. they're not that safe <laughs> yeah
2: but so yeah it kind was of, amazing yeah. there's been this whole trend about domestication of fairies in a sense because we were trying to they've become Our depictions over time have become smaller they have wings Mm -hmm. they're often associated with children and uh you know we and very you know like very we think of them as very like minuscule in terms of like you know riding around on i don't know acorn caps and things like that whereas you know the older sources they they may not be quite human size but they're also they're more like people and they're also considered to be more dangerous um i was having a talk with a relative that who is you know, a younger relative and her mother's like, oh, we're going to set up a fairy garden. I'm like, I don't want to be associated with this. (laughs) It's not because I'm embarrassed by it or anything. It's because, yeah, yeah, I just, you don't want to call them in. (laughs) I don't know if I really want to be, yeah, I, I kind of like, you know, I'm, I respect whatever these beings are, but I, if they're over there and I'm over here, it's all yeah, good. Yeah. All let's
1: good, not you know, antagonize. Yeah.
2: <laughs> let's not, let's, you know, it's, let's, let's, yeah. let's keep them. It's, it's more based on respect than uh, anything else, but it still creeps back in. So, okay. We're going off a little bit off topic, but, but you, yeah. I want to tell them, listen,
1: you believe in them though. Just talking about that. I, you believe in them.
2: <laughs> so there are, <laughs> in ann arbor michigan they have um Mm -hmm. local artisans who do like these little fairy um houses basically and they scatter them around ann arbor at various points so you can go into a business and uh or you know you can go sometimes they're inside sometimes they're outside and uh there's maps of them and of course you know sometimes business closed down and you go and that gets closed off but everyone i saw had an offering there like like maybe an orange slice or some coins or something like that so um and so we get into this whole question of what is belief and you know what does that if you're if you don't believe in fairies really you say you don't believe in fairies but you're leaving coins and encouraging your kids to leave coins and orange slices (laughs) at a little fairy house what does that mean (laughs) that and means it, just in case is what that means yeah I believe, so
1: just in case yeah so <laughs> I,
2: I i i tend to differentiate like we like to draw a line between di- belief and disbelief but sometimes it gets a little bit mixed up and uh and we sometimes mm-hmm. do things that we don't officially believe in and that's right, always fascinating right. yeah yeah
1: well we have about three minutes for the uh witch bottles
2: Okay, so we'll do this real quick. (laughs) We'll do it real quick. Okay, I wrote a book on Mm -hmm. witch bottles. It's uh, from Avalonia Press. It's pretty cool. Uh, Witch bottles were um, ways to ward off hostile magic. Uh, They were usually involved like a bottle or a container that could be stoppered. Um, They used um, usually uh, urine. My mind goes here
1: first. A bottle, which is I think of as glass. Mm -hmm. And how far back did they have glass bottles?
2: Well, the early ones are in the 17th century. Um, those are actually stoneware, just because that was the okay. cheapest bottle they could have. They're called right. bellarmines uh, or something of that nature. Um, but yeah, so they start at stoneware, but as glass becomes more common, they start with those, That you know they start okay. adopting those. So you got, that's one ingredient. The second one is probably urine. So you've got the person who is being affected by whatever hostile magic it is, that goes in the bottle. And then you take something sharp, it's often iron, stuff like pins or nails. It can also be thorns and things like that. And then you stopper it up, and people would do one of two things with them, one of which would they be hiding it you know, in the hearth or under the threshold or someplace like that in the house, and the other one would be they just put it on the fire, which was sort of then linking back to the person because the magic was creating... They never really articulate this, I don't think. But the magic creates like this bond between the person casting the spell and the person it's cast on. So now, if you're heating that up, that's going to cause an effect on that person's body. Um, and so they would believe things like, you know, okay, so whoever shows up at the house is going to be the person who casts the spell, and um, you just have to tell them to take it off. You know, either you know you tell them to take it off, and then you know you take the bottle off the off the fire that's how ideally it's going to work. And, you know, sometimes people would do like, well, we got to be very serious about this. We got to create like this iron bottle and then the iron, they put it on the fire and the iron bottle explodes. It might take out somebody might take out the chimney. This was in the 19th century. There was a uh, cunning person who was doing this. Um, so, but a lot of times they're just, you know, they're just glass and uh, or, or, you know, pottery.
1: which you'll and, explode in, in the fire
2: right well Glassware. the idea is that could actually damage someone that was the problem so you yeah. wanted to kind of draw draw a line uh so you didn't actually hurt somebody but at the same time some people just didn't care they were like you've been giving my family trouble for years this can just stay in the fire right. um so it was so yeah and this was something that uh, it was a service presented to people uh one of the things i did that's special in this book is i got a lot of different versions of these uh like what people put in them, these spells people uh, said over them, because a lot of times those aren't recorded in one place. I tried to get them all in here. So it's kind of a history, but it's also sort of like a bunch of ideas that people could use if they wanted, you know, if they wanted to make their own bottles, essentially. is what And
1: and it's always really used to break a curse or to Mm -hmm. break um, some kind of energy that's been put on you. It's never to put it on somebody else.
2: It gets really weird later on because people start getting creative about it after a few centuries and like, okay, well, let's see if we can use this for a love spell. And, uh, you know, so once again, you know, that's that's a little shady. But um, my my goal in the book was to report what I was reading about these and kind of present it to people, not to say, well, do this or don't do this um, Mm -hmm. so much. I, and, I, I, and yeah.
1: do people find these bottles at all anymore?
2: They do, they do quite a bit. Um, there was, uh, okay, I'm not gonna, that story's really gross. Um, but yes, <laughs> we'll just say yes, they find it, <laughs> you know, like,
1: now I kind of want to hear it, but how bad is okay, it? Okay,
2: we'll do it uh, with the antique, I think it was an Antique Roadshow or a similar show yeah. where someone found a bottle and said, Yeah, I had, I found this in the house. And the person was like, the, the evaluator was like, Okay, I'm gonna give this a sip. And then it was like later on, they found out, like, oh, yeah, that's probably not something you want to be drinking. Uh, Why but, would they
1: ever take that chance anyway? I don't
2: know. I really <laughs> don't know. It just seems <laughs> like if you find sealed bottles in your house, um, do get yeah. in touch with, like, you know, somebody like the local university, somebody or like an archaeological firm somebody yeah don't drink <laughs> with them with
1: the chemical lab yeah <laughs> but
2: people find these wow. a lot still in england uh and uh some people will just will hand them over to the scientist and some people will put them on ebay and but a lot of people just say i'm putting this back and right, you know right. i tear you're afraid to there for a reason or yeah. they just see it as something like hey this is part of the house this is part of our history and we're just gonna you know we're just going to keep it here because somebody wanted to basically hear, comes down
1: to, hey, we're good. Let's not mess with that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: OK, we're going to have to stop. Thanks so much. We did get that in. I'm so glad you did. And um, where can they get hold of your books and where can they get hold of you?
2: OK, so they can get hold of my books at um, probably at your local bookstore. You book have store. a number of books. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, book of four occult philosophers is available from Llewellyn. The book of, uh, Witch bottles book is available from Avalonia. Um, you can also get them from the publishers. Uh, mm-hmm. you can also get them from some online retailer, which, you know, if you, if you choose to do so, um, Amazon
1: or there, there are a yeah. number of retailers, online retailers, good, good reads. There are a number mm-hmm. of them. Yeah.
2: I have a blog at danharms.wordpress.com which I'm not writing on right now but I have a link to the medium uh which is a little bit harder to say in terms of a URL so you can just click from there and mm-hmm. you can see all all the stuff I'm doing I'm also on Facebook and occasionally on Twitter um just do a search for Daniel Harms and ignore the uh you know the catholic folk singer and uh
1: <laughs> that's not that's not yeah. me it's the that's one who's magic, writing about, right
2: <laughs> yeah that's I'm the one who's writing about weird books of magic and witch bottles and things like that so
1: And you're not singing about Catholic songs.
2: (laughs) I I am not. No.
1: Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for being on. I've really enjoyed it. It was great. Very enlightening. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great weekend.
2: You too. Take care.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.